The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 47th and 16th in Seattle's U District. Hey, it is my privilege tonight to be able to introduce our speaker uh, for tonight. And he's a guy who has not only become a good friend of mine as we've had the chance to work together this year, but he is also a guy that really inspires me. He's a guy that fires me up and inspires me just to want to do more with my life, want to serve God uh, more with, with my life. Um, our speaker tonight, Jordan, uh, is from Kent, Washington. Uh, not many applause for Kent, I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> It's okay, I understand, I've been there. Um, and uh, anyways, he went to Seattle Christian High School there. Uh, he's also a recent graduate of the University of Washington. Uh, just graduated last year. And he was really involved in the Greek system here. Uh, he was president of Sigma Chi last year. And that's right. And Jordan is also a very, very good athlete. I will say this about him. Uh, he's a fierce competitor. And if you ever find yourself playing uh, some sort of sports, I suggest you play on the same team as him, uh, not the opposite one. Uh, luckily enough for me, I've had the chance to play on the same team a couple times as him, uh, not only in this ministry, I guess, being on the same team, but, but also I had the chance to play with him on the basketball team that went down to Mexico over Christmas, uh, like you heard about these guys here. Uh, and that was a pretty sweet opportunity to watch him knock down a bunch of jumpers on Mexican guys. Um, Anyway, uh, Jordan is a guy who, who I admire because he continues to strive uh, to serve God with his life as, as much as he can. And it really, um, it really does. It inspires me to want to do more with myself. So it's my privilege uh, to welcome our speaker tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm applause to Jordan Collier. All right, guys. Thank you. I know Mike just made you guys sit down. But in a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And per the tradition we have here at the end, Introduce yourself to a few people sitting around you, and uh, yeah, go ahead and answer this question. What was one rule that your parents had for you growing up that you couldn't stand following? One rule your parents had, stand up, introduce yourselves, talk about it. <clears throat> All right, guys. I know Mike kind of introduced me a little bit here, and that was a great introduction. Thank you so much, Mike. Um, but like, uh, like you said, my name is Jordan Collier, and uh, I just recently graduated from University of Washington, spent a lot of time over at the Sigma Chi fraternity house. I think some of my, my bros are out here tonight. There we go. Thanks, guys, for the, for the shout-out. Um, and so kind of, kind of on that topic of college, um, you know, I came to UW here in the fall of 2004, and immediately fell in love with the UW. I'm a Husky through and through. Um, there we go. Um, you know, a few things I really enjoyed about UW, obviously, you know, IMA basketball games, Husky tailgates, not so much the games recently. Um, uh, late nights at Odegaard, always fun. And uh, the one thing, you know, that I, that I think I really enjoyed um, was, was kind of the freedom to, to live by my own rules. Um, kind of the ability to be able to do what I wanted when I wanted to do it. Um, you know, I had some responsibilities, obviously, like homework and, and going to class, um, pledge meetings and being at work. But for the most part, I got I to make up my own schedule. I love the freedom that college brought. 
You know, I really enjoy this, this quick transition from adolescence to, you know, what I, what I thought was adulthood. And, you know, it might sound like my parents were pretty strict with me growing up, that I didn't have any freedoms, but, you know, I think that I actually did have quite a bit of freedom growing up for a couple main reasons. First of all is that I, uh, one of five kids. I'm the second born of five kids, a big family. There's my family up there. Uh, actually, my, my brother's wife and his little little tyke are in there too. So there's nine of us. But there, there's seven of us in our family. And you know, being one of five kids and not being uh, maybe like an only child, I think our, my parents gave me a little more freedom. Didn't necessarily have the reins on me because they had to worry about a bunch of bunch of kids running around. Secondly, is you know, I think that not to not to toot my own horn at all, but uh, as a pretty good kid, you know, I think people might have called me a goody two shoes. I'm actually right there in front. Uh, you can see I got the hammer pants pulled up to my nipples, and um, I'm wearing the uh, the pocket turtleneck, which I think is classic. So you see, there's a, there's a lot of chaos going on in this picture. My sister's crying. Santa's got his eyes closed. What is going on here? And uh, so, and, and and I must say that is an angelic face that I got sporting right there. Um, Anyways, I was a pretty good kid, and I think for this reason, you know, my parents kind of gave me a lot of freedom. I was only spanked a few times and was terrified of breaking rules that my parents put in place. So, on this topic of rules, and going back to the question that you guys all discussed earlier with those sitting around you, my parents had one rule for me that I absolutely hated, that I couldn't stand. I'll paint a little picture here for you. We'll say it's uh, my sophomore year of high school. A Friday night after a big basketball game, come home, get all changed up, ready to go. And, you know, I tell my dad, hey, I'm going over to the girlfriend's place with some buddies. We're going to watch, watch a movie and hang out. My dad says, okay, you know, great, Jordan, have a good time. I'll see you home at midnight. I hated this. I hated the midnight curfew. Why did our parents have to give us the midnight curfew? Hated it. You know, I started, I started defending my case. By saying, you know, Dad, I, I got nothing going on tomorrow. It's Saturday. I don't have to be anywhere till, till two in the afternoon. All my buddy's parents let them stay out till like three in the morning. Why can't I stay out late? And my dad would look at me and say, Jordan, nothing good happens after midnight. Period. <laughs> I hated this. You guys have heard this. You're laughing out there because you guys have heard this. I hated this one. You know, I, I'd probably, I, I remember saying something like this one time. You know, Dad, I, I was up till 2 a.m. last night finishing my English paper. That was something good that happened after midnight. He, he wasn't buying it, and, uh, yeah. And, and inevitably, I would make it home by 11.59 and 45 seconds to find my dad waiting up for me and uh, me kind of knowing deep down that he, he actually knew what he was talking about. Why, why did our parents give us rules such as a midnight curfew? Why do they torture us by not allowing us to watch R-rated movies? Man, my parents didn't even let me go on dates until I was like 16. I mean, some of these rules just seemed so ridiculous at the time. But once I left home and came to college, I began to realize that my dad didn't want me to be home at midnight just so that, just so that I couldn't have any fun. But probably because I probably did do some stupid things after midnight and because he loved me and wanted to protect me. I realize now more than ever, how lucky I was to have a dad that truly cared about me. You know, ultimately, I think that, that when our parents give us rules, it's because they love us and want, want what's best for us. 
We don't follow rules in our life for the sake of following rules. It just, it just makes no sense. We obey them because at their core, they exist for our good. To protect us, to guide us, to bring us into right relationship with the one who made them. In much the same way that we tend to focus too often on the rules themselves and not the purpose behind them. A few decades after Christ came, the Galatians were guilty of focusing too heavily on the Old Testament law themselves, ultimately losing sight of why it was given in the first place. They were forgetting that it was given out of love, not to rule them, but to lead them into a relationship with Christ. But before we dive into the scripture tonight, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and pray. Bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for your word. Thank you for the opportunity we have to come together tonight and, uh, lear- and learn from you, God. Um, I pray that the, <clears throat> the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts tonight, God, will be pleasing in your sight. In your name I pray. Amen. Alrighty. So the last couple weeks... For those of you who haven't been here, we've been looking at the book of Galatians, one of Paul's letters. We've gone through the first two chapters in the first couple weeks, and how Paul has played an important role in guiding the early churches of Galatia. Tonight, we're going to continue to look at Galatians as we dive into chapter 3. So, uh, pop up the scripture here, and voice of the end, go ahead and read it for us. Galatians 3, 1 through 5. Okay. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal to human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? All righty here. So Paul, as we're seeing here, is pretty much calling out the Galatians hardcore. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? I would like to learn just one thing. Did you you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Paul's pretty much saying here, well, guys, wait a second. How how did you first become filled with the spirit? By sticking to a bunch of rules that no one could possibly keep? Or by believing in Christ's redemptive work on the cross? Seems to me that you guys are a little off base. I love Paul's passion here. We saw the same passion last week when Paul kind of gets into it a little bit with Peter. Two guys who, who started the early church. The fact that Paul is fired up here tells me that it is important. So what is this law? Why, why, is, why is Paul so fired up about this? So a little, little background on the, the situation going on in Galatia right now is that this kind of, the church has started up, like I said, a few decades after Christ had gone, and this group called the Judaizers um, come and kind of infiltrate their church and begin telling them, okay, it's great, you know, you guys uh, received Christ by faith, but now you've got to start doing things. They kind of... They bring, they bring with them this law of do's and don'ts, with circumcision being at the top of the list. We saw this in the last couple of weeks. And as you can imagine, you know, you got a, got a bunch of old dudes there starting up this church, and someone comes in and tells them, okay, buddy, you know, you guys, you guys need to be circumcised. They're not going to be too happy. Controversy stirs up because, you know what? Probably no Nova came back in those days. And, and actually, 
as I was, I was, I was researching this, uh, in the, back in the human trailer, I found an old photo of the Galatians after they heard, you know, this news that they had to be circumcised. So I don't know if you want to throw that up there. They, uh, they weren't too happy about it, as you can see. So, so anyways, Paul gets word of this and reminds them that, that they were first filled with the Spirit through faith alone in the gospel, not by following a bunch of rules. How did you first experience Christ's love for you? Was it because you had been following a bunch of rules and commandments? Or was it because you fell in love with the good news that Christ died for you? As we continue on in the scripture, this is something I want you guys to think about. Okay, we're going we're gonna to jump into a lot more text here. We're going to go verse 6 through 20. So uh, hang with us. It's kind of a long, long section here. So voice of the end. Consider Abraham. He believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand, then, that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because the righteousness, the righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been daily established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and this do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it, is no, long, then it no longer depends on a promise, but God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions and so the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. A mediator, however, does not represent one party, but God is one. All right. A lot, a lot of text here, a lot going on. Um, with all these Old Testament references that we see in this section from, from 6 to 20 here, um, I think it's important we take a couple of seconds to focus on some really important dudes in the Old Testament. Um, Abraham and Moses. Okay, so first let's, uh, let's talk about Abraham real quick here. In Genesis 12, first book of the Bible, we see a dude named Abram. Okay? He is the direct descendant of Shem, who is a son of Noah. Um, <clears throat> I think we got a clip up there. There we go. There's Noah. Um, and... <laughs> Abram is a direct descendant of him, which, which is kind of funny they make a point of saying this because I think we're all direct descendants of Noah. I mean, he was the only guy on the ark, right? Okay. Anyways. 
Um, so we, we got we got Abram here. Okay, two things I want you guys to remember about Abraham, who, who God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Okay, in Genesis 12, God makes a covenant with Abraham that Jesus would come through his family line. This is known as the Abrahamic covenant. Thus, the reference we saw in verse 8, that all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you, God talking to Abraham, he's referring to Jesus, because everyone on earth will be blessed through Jesus. Okay? Second point here, God establishes a faith covenant of circumcision with Abraham. He's the first guy circumcised by in accordance with God's law. This is an outward sign as an act of faith. Faith in that Abraham and his wife were 90 years old when God told them that he, that he was going to be the father of a great nation, that Jesus was going to come through his line. This took a lot of faith, because I don't know too many 90-year-olds who are having babies these days. Okay, So this is, this is kind of where the faith covenant comes in here. Okay, So that's, that's Abraham. He's over here. Now we got Moses. The NIV doesn't come out and say it directly, as we saw, but we got a couple references to Moses. As we saw in verse 17, it says here that what I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God. So 430 years after Abraham, we've got Moses. Okay, And he, he brought the law in the form of the Ten Commandments. There's Moses up there, Charlton Heston. I think he's like every old guy in history. Um, okay, so that's number one. 430 years after Moses. Secondly is the mediator that, we're, that verse 19 talks about here. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. This mediator is Moses because he mediated between God and the Israelites. Okay, so we've got this little history lesson. Abraham, Moses, 430 years later. What does this have to do with the Galatians? If we fast forward to the time of the Galatians, the law that the Judaizers were trying to get the Galatians to follow, aside... This was the same exact law, this law that, that Moses brought. And aside from the, the classics of, you know, do not murder, do not steal, do not commit adultery, these Judaizers wanted them to follow all these, these add-ons to the law. It was humanly impossible to keep. I don't know if you guys realize some of these laws that the Judaizers wanted them to follow, but in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is pretty much a list of all these laws. So I found one that's, that's pretty ridiculous. Okay, Deuteronomy 14.21 says, Do not eat anything you find already dead. Pretty much don't eat roadkill. Uh, whatever happened to common sense here? Um, he goes on to say, You may give it to an alien living in any of your towns, and he may eat it, or you may sell it to a foreigner. So you guys can't eat it, but go ahead and give it to the poor foreigner, and he'll get salmonella poisoning. Are you, are you serious here? Okay. And then, and then it ends with, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. I don't know what to say about that one. <laughs> Apparently, you're not supposed to do it. Uh, point being is that the Judaizers wanted them to adhere to all these add-ons, to the original law that Moses got from God. Paul's argument here is that because Abraham came before Moses, and thus the faith covenant of circumcision came before the law, Faith alone has precedence over the law because faith came before the law was introduced by Moses. For the Galatians, this meant that their relationship with God had nothing to do with what they did or didn't do and everything to do with what they believed. Faith in a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So, so, so why is this so hard for the Galatians to realize that the law won't save them? Why is it so hard for us? Why is it so difficult sometimes to just believe and accept God's grace without feeling like we have to earn it? I can get so caught up in, in the things that I am doing, my accomplishments, that accepting this gift on faith alone just isn't attractive to me because I had nothing to do with it. I want to show you guys a, a quick video clip here uh, because I think John Candy addresses this issue best in a pregame talk he has with Doris, the captain of the world-famous Jamaican bobsled team, Cool Runnings. Just like the coach is saying here, he had, he had to keep on winning because he had made winning his entire life. How often do we make our accomplishments our entire life? As we were reminded of yesterday with the celebration of, of Martin Luther King Jr., our dreams, our accomplishments, our achieved goals, they're wonderful things. But if we are not enough without them, we are never going to be enough with them. Sometimes that I, I think that we want Christianity to be a, a works-based religion because it gives us something to, to measure ourselves against. But the problem with this type of thinking is that we can never do enough to be enough on our own. But relationship with Christ allows us to be enough. Most of you out there are probably, are probably thinking, you know, myself included, okay, Jordan, you know, I, I get what you're saying. Faith alone, great. I can never do enough to be enough on my own, to accept God's grace. I understand. But, but what then is, is the purpose of this law? What is, what is the purpose of, of going to church? in reading my Bible, in praying, when all I have to do is believe. Let's see what the last few verses of our text today have to say about this. Galatians 3, 21 through 25. Flash that up there. There we go. Um, uh, Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. So when it, when it says here in verse 24 that the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, the Greek word that Paul uses here is the word pedagogos. Now, a pedagogos was a slave, a servant, who was pretty much their main job was to take the kids and bring them from home to school. You know, for those for you, uh, if you girls out there, you can think of it in terms of a nanny. Um, you know, your, your job is to take take the, the kids from from home, bring them to school. And I hope you girls out there aren't wearing leopard two pieces when you're you know picking up your kids in Lawhurst. But uh, but yeah, think of it as a nanny. I personally like to think of it in terms of a bus driver. Okay, <laughs> follow me here. Okay, 
Not, not one that, you know, steals 50 lunches and br- lies about getting it on with Veronica Vaughn. Not that type of bus driver. Okay? A bus driver in, in, the, in the true sense. In the same way that a bus driver picks up kids and brings them to school, the law brings us to a place where we can be in relationship with our teacher, Jesus Christ, and learn from Him. And just like the bus, we have to get on board with the law in order to be in relationship with Christ. But if we never get off, if we only focus on the law in itself, we've missed the purpose which is to bring us into the presence of God. To answer the question that we posed earlier, the purpose of the law in itself, just as in the case of the bus driver, is a great thing because it allows us to experience relationship with Jesus. But how often do we get too caught up in Christian rules that we miss out on the relationship? I have to be involved in my church. I have to read my Bible. I have to spend time in prayer. I have to... You fill in the blank. These things, like Paul's talking about, they're good by nature. But when they take the place of God, when they become God, instead of bring us into His presence, we've missed the point. We haven't gotten off the bus. I want to kind of start to conclude here with, with a little bit of my own story Um, and kind of how this temptation to want to make my life all about these achievements and and doing things um, kind of came to a head this last summer. Um, I'll start by telling you that kind of for, I guess, most of my life, I've, uh, you know, I feel like I've been a pretty ambitious kid. Um, I've known pretty much from, like, say, around seventh grade that that I wanted to be a doctor and pursue medicine, um, and this is a dream that I've still held on to up to this day. And, um, you know, I, I want to live an extraordinary life. I really do. And my biggest fear in life is that I will be just another, another average Joe, another Joe the plumber, if you will. <laughs> it scares me, you know, because I want to make my life extraordinary. And although this passion to be great still exists in me, the why for me has changed. My purpose for wanting to be great was rooted in my desire for me to receive the glory and personal recognition that I thought would inevitably come with me having a huge impact on the world. None of my ambition included, included God for receiving the glory for my successes. I realized that it, it all had no meaning unless my purpose for achievement was rooted in the desire to bring Him glory, for Him to be known more by the things that I was doing. And some of you out there are probably asking, okay, you know, how? How did you come to a point where where your purpose now, instead of being rooted in wanting to bring you glory, is rooted in God? i got to be honest, guys. I, I still don't have it figured out. It didn't happen overnight, and it probably will never completely happen where I can give God all of my glory. I'm still working on it. But it started with me asking why. Why do I honestly desire to do something great with my life? My question for you guys is where does your purpose lie in desiring success? See if you can honestly answer that question. Guys, desiring that our our lives be great, desiring to accomplish big things is, is fantastic. 
Whether you, whether you want to cure cancer, or whether you want to become a CEO of a successful business, or in light of the inspiring events that happen today in our country, become the President of the United States. All of these ambitions are worthy. Hold on to these passions, but not at the sake of losing God in the process. For those of you out there that are visual learners, you know, I, 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 I tend to think of it like this. Is that my entire life I've been, I've been looking in this mirror. So I got this big mirror right in front of me. And you know, I've been, been checking myself out. I've been primping a little bit. You're looking at myself. Now I got this sweet beard for January. You know, I've been looking at myself and, and been, been wanting to like what I see. It's only recently that I've realized that I've, I need to turn my back to the mirror and look at the cross. And at the same time, become the mirror. And in doing so, become a reflection of what Christ has done for us. You guys, how are you being reflections of Christ? i got to admit that the temptation, even now, is to turn back around and look at myself. And when I do that, I get in the direct path of the cross, of the reflection of Christ. Even in preparing this talk, you know, the temptation was to turn back around because I, wanna, I wanted to do a great job. But only when I, I turn around and look at God is the purpose. As I started to ask this question of why in my own life, I came across this passage in, in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians as he addresses this idea that when we turn to God and stop looking at ourselves, we have no choice but to be a reflection of Him. 2 Corinthians 3.16-18 says, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. As verse 17 says here, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We no longer have to be handcuffed by a series of rules and regulations that we are bound to fail at. As Paul confirmed earlier, yes, the law is good, but only when it leads us to Christ. That we might not be justified by what we do, but by faith. I read a quote the other day from a guy named William Barclay, who I think best summarizes our challenge here. If we abandon this hopeless struggle of trying to live by the law and bring ourselves and our sin to God, His grace opens its arms to us and we find ourselves at peace with a God who is no longer a judge, but a father. My prayer is that we would be able to see God as a true and loving father and not a judge. A father who, like my dad and wanting me to be home by midnight, gives us rules to follow Because He loves us. Rules that, just as in the case of the bus, bring us into His presence. God wants us to get on that bus. Not just to ride around on it, but only so that we will get off to find Him standing on the sidewalk with His arms wide open. Because in the end, guys, this whole thing, all these rules, point us to that relationship with Jesus. Guys, that's what it's all about. 
Will we put ourselves aside and accept this Father's love and grace? Will we turn around, away from the mirror, and accept this relationship waiting for us with Jesus? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us the gifts of your Son. Thank you so much for, for, for loving us more than we could ever imagine. Help us, God, as we go from here to, to begin to stop looking at ourselves and look at you. Stop looking at the things that we, that we think we need to do, our accomplishments. Start looking how, to see how we can be reflections of you, God. Thank you so much for your love. Pray that we would uh, love you in return. In your name I pray. Amen.